Hello, everyone, and welcome to Science Say podcast. Today we have Giuseppe Loyana as our guest. Hello, Giuseppe. Hello, everyone. How are you? Uh, Giuseppe actually is a professor at NYU now, and he holds Bachelor and Master of Science in Automation Engineering, both with honors. Uh, from University of Naples. And uh, after finishing his PhD, he was a student at the KTH in Stockholm. And then he was uh, also in ETH Zurich. And he was a postdoctoral researcher after that. And then he was lecturer, research scientist, and team leader at the CRASP lab at the University of Pennsylvania. And currently, uh, Giuseppe leads the Agile Robotics and Perception Lab that performs fundamental and applied research in the area of robotics autonomy. Uh, Giuseppe, can you elaborate a little bit more uh, what uh, what your lab is doing? What is the goal of this lab, and what what research, what fundamental research you are doing there? Great. So, uh, thank thanks a lot for the invitation. So, our lab, as you clearly mentioned, uh, performs some work in the area of uh, robotics autonomy, uh, both from a fundamental but also an experimental perspective. So basically we study uh, and we derive models and, alg and algorithms to make our robots smarter, safer, uh, and uh, you know, more agile um, compared to current uh, autonomous robots. Um, and uh, you know, we always have also an experimental angle uh, in our research. So after we develop this kind of you know, models and algorithms, we like to test them on specific robotics platform. Uh, which in our case, uh, basically, it's mostly uh, uh, aerial robots that are often called uh, drones, basically. Actually, yeah, that's what I was wanted to ask, actually, about what kind of robots you use. But do you use also ground vehicles in your lab? Um, we did some work on ground vehicle, mainly for some competition that some students needed to attend. But in general, I mean, students prefer to work with aerial robots just because they are they, they are sort of more exciting uh, than uh, than ground robot. Uh, and for this reason, our research is mostly focused on aerial robot. I would say that we have ninety percent of our algorithms are tested on aerial robot, and then we have a remaining probably 10% where we performed this test on, on, uh, on ground vehicles. Yeah, I agree. So maybe nowadays uh, the UAVs or drones, so they're taking a large part in, in many areas and many applications. And that's why maybe the students are also excited about that. And so what kind of algorithms you develop for, for UAVs? So we developed two different types of algorithms that are related to, you know, how you learn, basically how you extract the, uh, the, uh, the main characteristics of this platform uh, to enable safe and agile flight and how the uh, vehicle itself uh, is able through perception algorithm to extract the uh, representation of the surrounding environment. Uh, oh, wow. to avoid obstacles and navigate to, you know, final destination. So it's a combination of, you know, perception, learning and control uh, algorithm that we derive in, in our lab. What can be the application of, of this? So the application, we have many applications. So you have seen that there has been a surge in popularity of this kind of platform for different, uh, for different uh, application areas. Uh, the first one that comes to my mind is, you know, probably the, the one that most people know is search and rescue. 
So definitely mm. drone can be employed in these areas, so search and rescue, monitoring, uh, exploration, but not less important, also many, probably many people also remember the recent Olympic Games where drones were shown, you know, as sort of choreo choreography in the, uh, were part of the choreography in, the, in, in that type of event. And, you know, so there is the entertainment industry uh, that's kind of growing uh, in this context, but we don't need to forget uh, important, uh, you know, as important areas such as agriculture, uh, since there are less and less people that want to perform uh, this kind of work. So there is really a lack of manpower that can be, you know, solved by at least partially using aerial robot, especially for crop monitoring. Um, and then we, we also have transportation and delivery. So you need to consider single or multiple platforms really carrying uh, loads, uh, packages, and deliver these to your home. So basically, these are the main areas, the key areas that probably within the next 10 years, we'll, uh, we will see a, a huge development and a huge uh, you know, role of uh, aerial robot in this kind of um, uh, areas and especially, you know, the algorithm that we're developing will contribute to all these areas because you you definitely want robots that are, you know, safer, faster, uh, more agile and able to accomplish tasks uh, as fast as possible, basically. Yeah, it's a good that you mentioned this entertainment industry because just in our last podcast, we were talking with Steven Sutton from Flyby Guys and they are organizing these drone show events, actually big show events. So. Uh, yeah, that's a quite nice link. So basically they can utilize or later on your algorithms will be available for, for their use. Uh, and I have also a question um, about uh, scenarios. Do you do you do like test uh, testing of your robots in, in these scenarios which you envision? And uh, if yes, what kind of maybe unique scenarios uh, you have been doing tests like already? So uh, we, we do test mainly in, uh, you know, lab environment, but we test mainly search and rescue, let's say operations and, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, transportation. We have done some tests also in the fields. So similar environment like forest and so on, but most importantly in indoor confined environment. So we have been involved in a project where we had to explore uh, basically a damaged nuclear reactor. So oh, wow. The, the nuclear reactor was completely rebuilt uh, in the location that, uh, I mean, I cannot mention, but you can clearly imagine uh, that uh, why it was done and which nuclear reactor was kind of replicating uh, due to a recent, uh, I mean, not, not recent anymore, but kind of, you know, uh, yes, the yes, last yes. one that was, uh, was, uh, was, the last, uh, you know, uh, problem that they had in in Asia, and uh, and um, and then yeah, it was extremely challenging to you know have a robot that autonomously flying in a really confined space with rain, fog, uh, and so on. So this is probably the most challenging environment I've worked with. Oh wow, that's uh, really interesting. I have I have not been thinking that it can be used in these nuclear reactors, but. Um, like, was there any problem for like for electronics, like because of radiation or? 
That's a great question. So radiation were not really in the mock-up that was replicated. Ah, okay. but they, were tested, they were tested in a specific chamber. So we tested first all the electronics, and then we tested also the electronics during normal operation, like flying, because you don't okay. you yes, know yes, about yes, the interference that may happen during, you know, when your, your device is on and your motors are on. And surprisingly, everything was surviving uh, very well to all the radiation. So the only real problem was, you know, that after you deploy these robots in radioactive environment, you basically cannot use anymore its component. I see, I see. So it's like one-time use, but I guess yeah. because you are doing tests and develop algorithms, I think that uh, like most of your robots, okay, they are not one-time use, of course, but probably you crash them a lot during the test testing like process and uh, rebuild them. Is it so? I mean, I think yeah, it's inevitable. So, like, mean, uh, you know, our robots likely are not as expensive as other robots. I would say that one of our, we build everything in house. Oh, cool. Uh, with uh, with off the shelf components. Uh, so we have this expertise. Our our research is not in hardware, but definitely we like to do that because we want to have the full control of the pipeline. And we want we want we won't like to enter at any level of you know our, of control and perception due to the type of research that we uh, we do uh, but definitely as i was saying you know that the cost is quite uh, uh, reasonable we are around $1000 per drone so compared to you know existing solution or existing robots we are definitely uh, cheaper especially for a custom made uh, vehicle Okay, and so I, I guess also it's easier to repair them if, if something happens, like... Yeah, so we have a couple of engineers that are just dedicated, you know, to the hardware part in the lab that, you know, contribute to build them, but also to repair uh, basically the platform. What is the size of the drone you use in your lab? The size of the drone is around 20 centimeter diameter, basically. So that's what we use, uh, 20, 22 centimeter diameter is our, is our drone. And uh, how many like drones simultaneously you can put in the lab? So I guess it's just the limit of uh, like of the indoor space. Uh, but uh, have you done tests like with, with multiple robots and how many? Yeah, so we can fly probably in the lab up to eight robots. We did, I think, five or six. Uh, okay. The main problem is, you know, the space, as you mentioned. So the space is quite limited, but of course, smaller the robot is, uh, more you can put in the... Uh, in the environment. So basically with our current platform, we're able to test around six to eight drones uh, simultaneously. But definitely, you know, if you use a really smaller platform, maybe you can go to 20 in that okay. space. Okay, I see, I see. And um, like you also, do you do any other research or like topics? Do you have any other research topics? Uh, not, I mean, we work in the broad area of, you know, robotics. So all these are algorithms that can be applied to most of the robotic system. Of course, our focus is on, on autonomy. I have several collaborations also with people in NYU Wireless on, you know, 5G uh, and drones. So really trying to have uh, drones that, you know, exploit the uh, millimeter wave connectivity to uh, outsource part of the algorithm to the cloud, uh, but also for cooperative localization or for, uh, you know, understanding how this kind of uh, signals performs once uh, they are not anymore, you know, uh, neither grounded 
mm. neither you know on on specific uh, 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 tower or specific uh, you know um, uh, specific areas uh, in the in the environment. And this is extremely challenging, uh, especially in urban environments. So you really can test a wide range of conditions that it's not possible to test uh, in uh, normal. Okay, and uh, do you do tests uh, like uh, in the cities? So you mentioned that you do did this in the nuclear reactor and in in some other environments. But like, do you do these tests in urban environments? No, unfortunately, we would love to, but you know, doing tests in urban environments implies a wide range of permissions, um, especially in cities like New York. Uh, that's kind of prohibited, as you can imagine. Uh, so working in urban environment is quite hard, uh, but we are, we are planning some tests, you know, in sort of uh, virtual cities that are, you know, they've been built just for the scope of robotics testing. So we're going to go, definitely we're going to go there. Oh, that's, uh, what do you mean by virtual city? So virtual city, you know, it's a, it's, it's sort of, you know, urban environment uh, with houses and so on that have been specifically created uh, in uh, in areas uh, in the United States where you can basically test your robots uh, and so on. So uh, no one lives there basically, but okay. they sort of replicate uh, a mock-up of a urban environment. Let's put it this way. Have you been thinking doing these kind of tests using AR technology? Because when you started to talk about this like mock-up of virtual environment, I started actually thinking about uh, this augmented reality. So if you can create this uh, model of a city and then just do flies like or emulate that you are flying in the city that would be like probably also proper testing or would it be definitely i mean that's something we can uh, we can definitely do i mean we're already working on the coupling mixed reality and robotics for different kind of types of tasks uh definitely you can uh, you know do more and um uh you know uh uh, kind of create this virtual environment and have your robot flying. Of course, I mean, you need to be very careful with the scale uh, because mm -hmm. the lab is still a limited place. So you need to scale appropriately the, the, the two environments so that the execution can really be done in the in, in lab settings. So and your robots, which you are using now in the lab, they can be like scaled up. I guess. Yes, so they can be scaled up both from a size perspective or from an intelligence perspective. Of course, I mean, it's easier to scale up from an intelligent perspective if you have a bigger robot, because basically you can put a lot of sensor and lots of computing on the robot. And that's why we focus a lot on small scale robot, because that's where the really that's where really the challenges are, uh, because all the learning control and planning needs to be derived in an efficient uh, formulation to allow uh, running on such embedded, small embedded devices. So basically you run the algorithms directly on the, on the UAVs. Yes, we run the algorithms oh, directly wow. on the robot. And that's very, and that's challenging because, you know, on a cellular grade, uh, let's say processing unit, you need to run from the high level planning to the perception algorithm, to the control of the platform basically. Okay, yeah, that can be quite challenging indeed. So, and uh, you also have, uh, because I have been visiting your lab uh, just recently, so 
and it, it, it looked quite quite impressive. You have this positioning system and tracking system of the drone, so you can track really accurately all the position. And so uh, I guess that's kind of um, how you do this or test your algorithms with this system. Yeah, so that system is mainly used for two scopes. The first one is, you know, to test our control algorithm, to test that the planning and control are working. And then the other one, we try to benchmark the precision of onboard localization with uh -huh. the localization of a system that's like the most precise, can be considered most precise in the world. Uh, that's this motion capture system. So uh, basically the, the goal is really to, uh, to achieve this kind of, uh, you know, tests which are part of uh, an autonomous drone design. I would say, and once they are successful, you can basically, you know, you have way higher uh, possibilities to deploy the the current solution outside uh, in the wild basically i see and uh, you also do teaching at university what courses do you teach so i'm mainly involved you know in the cl robotics classes i teach a fundamental class on robotics then i teach an advanced class mainly on uh, you know robot localization and navigation and then i uh, you know i also um, teach an undergraduate class uh, every two years on the uh, how you 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 know uh, what's the robot motion and how you plan motion for the robot. Do you have any like uh, you know favorite topic in the course uh, which you like? I like really the estimation part, the one that you know you 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 use Bayesian uh, filtering to you know combine different types of sensors to localize the robot in the environment. So that's mainly really the one i uh, i like okay and uh, how large is your group so my group is now in september we're going to be eight phd students uh, okay. plus we have several master students that uh, you know work with us on research tasks and then we also host uh, one or two undergraduate students per year and around the three high school students per year so we try to do some outreach work uh, that you know promotion that involves uh, high school in uh, in the New York area. Oh, that's that's amazing. And uh, eight eight PhD students, I think it's quite big group. I assume. Uh, yeah, I, I mean I'm quite at the limit. I would say okay. I'm uh, you know quite busy, so uh, I basically don't plan to grow probably more than eight or ten. Uh, to be honest, but still there is some room. <laughs> yeah, there is some room, you know, because you, you need to uh, also think that, you know, maybe in one year, uh, some students will graduate. Yes. So you need to create a sort of, you know, uh, there is always an overlap time, I would say, where your, your group is a slightly bigger than usual, just because you are in the transition phase from one generation to another. Basically. I see. And, um, you know, um, yeah, basically we have been talking about uh, applications and and this agile robotics and so on. And from our previous podcast, actually, Steven was interested. Where do you see yourself in two year time? So, and maybe this would be the first question. And the second one: Where do you see the technology which with which you are working in two year time, or where you would like to see it, or where you would like it it will be? So where I see myself is I see myself still at university. <laughs> so that's what I'm thinking. Uh, 
uh, I mean, from uh, from a group perspective, pretty much we aim to, oh, you know, get this vehicle really uh, perform fast and agile maneuver that currently, you know, is possible, but just using probably motion capture system and so on. So we really want to deploy those in this vehicle in the wild. Um, then from a technology perspective, where I really hope is that, you know, robots can be really part of our lives. Uh, there are still a, a couple of steps that needs to be solved. Uh, the first step is, you know, regulations. So mm -hmm. that's uh, that's a big uh, big problem now to find the right regulation for the right type of places and environment. Um, uh, then, uh, you know, I would like to see more robotics in, in general in terms of education, uh, certainly starting probably from high school uh, toward university. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, the... the the, the idea is really to try to, uh, you know, have robots everywhere. Uh, so robots everywhere that can help human to uh, solve uh, complex uh, and dangerous tasks, basically. So that's the uh, really the idea. It's a little bit what happened, you know, with uh, if you think about self-driving cars. So we are we are getting there. Uh, it takes a little bit more than they took a little bit more than what was expected, I would say. Uh, but in general, you need you know you need to feel you need to see a similar trend or path in robotics. So if you want car, it's sort of robotic system just at larger scale. Okay, interesting. So and do you think this uh, this uh, like uh, robots everywhere can happen in two year time? Two year time, no. That's uh, that's I would say a dream. But uh, okay. you know, I like dreaming. Let's put it this way. I see, I see. And uh, also, do you have any question in mind which you would like to ask our next guest? Yeah, so I would like to ask, uh, you know, uh, if he or she likes drone and how he or she would use would like to use drones uh, in, uh, in personal or professional life. So, and if uh, the person doesn't use a drone, uh, maybe, maybe then we can put it that way so that what what application can be of the drone and what, what is the application they yeah, force you for that? Yeah, exactly. So the first would be, you know, does he or she likes drones and what kind of application would he or she likes to develop with drones? And okay, yeah, I think that would be quite interesting to learn since uh, at least I learned today about this nuclear reactor and that uh, like about this stuff. So maybe uh, our next guest will will give also some interesting ideas and uh, vision on on the future of drones. And um, also, I believe you you use social networks, so you are active there. Uh, so where our listeners can can find you or can contact you, and do you publish any any like you know materials about uh, your research you are doing? Sorry, yes. So they can find me under Loyano G. So it's my last name, G, uh, either on, you know, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook is similar. Just put my last name. Uh, general, generally, we publish most of our content on Twitter. So I really, uh, you know, invite uh, our audience to, uh, if they like to connect with me, to, uh, you know, go on Twitter and uh, try to help me and okay. uh, so that we can be in touch and uh, speak about the robotics and drones and research okay yeah i'm personally not using twitter so much but maybe i should <laughs> <laughs>
It's a good but, starting point. Right? Uh, yeah, indeed. Uh, but uh, do you use also like or do you put some videos to to YouTube or like about about your measurements and I th- because I think it would be quite interesting. Yeah, so we have a, we have a YouTube channel ARPL YouTube. So uh, we have also an ARPL NYU website. So if you go on the website, you just find you know the content of our lab and there is also the YouTube link uh, to the to our videos. I mean, so that's the non. Uh, you know, the non, uh, um, uh, that's the institutional, uh, let's say part, it's the non uh, Twitter or Instagram. Let's put it this way. Yeah, okay. It's their own social. It's their own social. <laughs> I see, but uh, but yeah, we will put this in in the description of this podcast episode so that uh, the listeners can easily find find your account there. Uh, so and Great. so yeah, Giuseppe, it was uh, really interesting to learn about uh, child robotics and perception lab, and in, in about your research in general. So I think it it was really great, uh, great having you today in the studio. Thing so thanks for for being with us. Thanks a lot for the invitation. That's been a pleasure and I really enjoyed uh, our conversation. You're welcome. And for our listeners, stay tuned.